You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Five, six, seven, eight. Holla, boys and girls, it's the BGN. Coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends. All the way from Hollywood to the PCN. She defends everyone from sleazy men. Born apologize for spitting Shonda Rhimes. The space that we make is never colonized. We're talking games and movies and actors. Words. Better shake your booties for Black Girl Nerds. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie and this episode is hosted by Janine. This episode features Emmy-nominated host, author, and cultural activist, Baratunde Thurston. He has got a new show on PBS, a six-part-time primetime series called American Outdoors with Baratunde Thurston. Baratunde is a visionary known for his thought-provoking conversations, where he integrates his one-of-a-kind humor and insight to shine light on the world's complex nature within themes of race, politics, technology, and more. His compassionate voice offers a grounded honesty in which he displays during American Outdoors, where Baratunde will spend quality time with an array of characters whose outdoor lives are shaped by where they live. The series includes episodes that cover topics from modern homesteaders living alongside grizzlies in Idaho to black surfers catching waves on Long Island. Baratunde will reveal a deeper understanding of our passionate yet complicated relationship with the outdoors. The series premieres July 5th on PBS. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Black Girl Nerds podcast with guest Baratunde Thurston. At the opening teaser of American Out- America Outdoors, you asked the question, how does our relationship with the outdoors define us as individuals and as a nation? So I ask you, mm-hmm. how does your relationship with the outdoors define you and your relationship with this nation? We just jumping into the deep end of the pool. Um, <laughs> so I, my relationship with life was defined by the outdoors from an early age. I grew up in D.C. Mom's always taking us camping. Uh, a lot of it was fun. A lot of it, uh, in hindsight, was survival and uh, just getting these kids out the hood. Uh, and so we would drive everywhere in a station wagon. We went out to Ocean City. We went out to uh, Chincoteague and Assateague and the eastern shore of Maryland. Um, by the time I was 12, I had visited every state on the East Coast. And wow. camped in most of them because camping is cheaper than hotels. So there was also budgetary considerations. <laughs> uh, there was uh, basically some of my most profound formative memories have to do with these trips and these treks with my mother and our dog. The mm-hmm. dog was always a part of it. We borrowed, she borrowed a tent from a coworker at, at her office, and we drove all the way up to Maine, to Bar Harbor, Maine. It was the first time I'd ever left the country because we took a ferry all the way over into Canada. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember going to a bar with my mother <laughs> and ordering um, like a one root beer, please, sir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and sitting at the bar counter. It was the first time I ever had lobster. 
Wow. We also, um, we camped and we camped in the old style cartoon tent, like the triangle joint. They don't even make them anymore wow. because they're not as structurally awesome as like domes. Yeah. But uh, we, our dog was agitated by uh, a skunk and the skunk won. <laughs> and, and the skunk sprayed the dog and the tent. And oh, for no. months after, we had that tent airing out in our basement because my mom was like, I can't take this back to home girl like this. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, it was, you know, it's defined a big part of my relationship with my mother, a big part of my relationship with DC and, mm -hmm. the, and the greater DMV area. I just, I left the block a lot yeah. and I got to do adventures and my mother would organize adventures for me and my friends. And, and their parents were happy that there was one adventurous lady on the block, like take yeah. these boys, get them exhausted, bring them back to me, yeah. ready to eat. So, um, <laughs> and when it comes to the country, it's complicated. Um, my relationship to the outdoors and, and the connection to America initially was just like, wow. Wow, because I had the privilege of being so young and seeing so much of uh, just, it's a big ass country. And it's so different. You know, we just, like, Texas is nothing like New Hampshire, just <laughs> ecologically speaking, yeah. and also accent and culture and diet and like yeah. everything. Yeah. But the, 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 um, the diversity of landscapes and waterways mm. is, it boggles the mind. Yeah. And I got like an early taste of that. Um, I think I've also, as I've gotten older, really gotten more sensitive to the harm that we have inflicted on ourselves by harming nature. Yeah. Um, and, and I've gotten more sensitive to uh, the complex Black history with the outdoors. Yeah. Because my mother, she wasn't afraid to like, let me go swimming. She had the means to have a car to go to the beach. Yeah. We would, you know, did the discount version as much as we could, but there were still people in the hood who couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. I just didn't grow up with a fear. I didn't grow up primarily with um, restriction mm. around access to pools and things like that from a segregationist perspective. I, I didn't grow up with a traumatized relative who was like, we were forced to work in the outdoors. Forget the outdoors. <laughs> I'm staying up in this air conditioning. Thank Which, you for uh, mentioning that. That's yeah. what I grew up with. Yeah. Yeah. So I yeah. think there's, it's complicated for us. Yeah. I was like, you want me to go back to the scene of the crime? Yeah. Like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm yeah. Good. We go uh, to the mall. We don't. Yeah. Yeah. Mother. That's progress. My right? mother's yeah. church hats and gloves <laughs> and suburbs and fans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're moving and, on up, you know, like yeah. it's away from the earth. That was the sign yeah. of, of making it for so many of us. Yeah. Uh, so I feel really lucky um, that I had a softer, you know, exposure to what the outdoors would mean psychologically for me. But I, I didn't grow up alone. So there was a lot of people around me and I would meet later in life who were like, you do what now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, voluntarily. <laughs> like your car didn't break down. You just was like walking outside. That was, yeah. that's interesting. <laughs> but you still, you still got the thing that a lot of us have with the bugs. So yes, for that yes. you were my brother. Okay, so the top. So I'm you So don't even play because you know you're on Mr. Outdoors. But I saw. I was like, oh, actually, when you had the full on like. Oh, the waiter. Yeah. Yeah, the wait. I was like, I have to get me some of them because then the, you can do anything. The swamp like, is no joke, yo. On boots and so let me ask you the question. Uh, in the in, that's my favorite episode, the Tidewater Homecoming. Me too. 
Me yeah, too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good. Um, so you vi- you visit the Great Dismal Swamp, and I never knew that it was a site on the Underground Railroad. So just tell me about your experience in that yeah. bloody, swampy, magical land. So I'm I'm remembering because you said you mentioned the way you mentioned the bugs. I was like, hold on, <laughs> am I being as real as possible with Janine here? So on your first question about like the relationship with the outdoors, there's another part of the story which is my own um, disconnection. Basically, like I have this like childhood, which is very outdoor rich. I'm a boy scout. I'm doing this camping and whatnot. Right. And then I have this very recent period, you know, post New York City, like 2019 onward. And I've made this show and I'm like, Mr. Outdoors. Yeah. But in the interim, I just drifted. And I drifted away from all that foundation and really got into the tech, you know, really got into the computers and the high speed, fast everything um and i lost some of that relationship Mm -hmm. and i didn't know how much i missed it until i came to la and that was the reconnection the show was like icing on the cake but that was later yeah la i had gotten to a point with new york where i was defending new york for abusing me you know (laughs) like we all get to that stage you're like yeah no no i don't like peace and quiet yeah only weak people want to sleep through the night (laughs) you're not a real new yorker son and so i was like proud of like suffering yeah what that city will do to you yeah and um and then my wife girlfriend at the time she was just not having it (laughs) her as a weak person (laughs) all the judgment just defending my own suboptimal choices (laughs) and i finally got to a point where i i recognized that the intensity of that environment which was so concrete and my hyper digital life and traveling all the time, I wasn't deeply connecting. Yeah. And, and we came out to LA and I'm, I'm in the house we're renting now. And I'm like looking out my window, I see an avocado tree right there wow. and these squirrels. I see a lemon tree right here, lime tree right off yonder, peach tree, right? We had <laughs> a whole fruit basket and I can walk barefoot mm. and not worry about tetanus. You know, <laughs> like it's um, that started to, give me something that I didn't fully appreciate I missed. And I was like, oh, I know this feeling. This is that feeling I got in Bar Harbor. This is that feeling I got at the, at the KOA and the State Park campgrounds. That I, and it was, um, it's healing. And, and during 2020, with all the inflammation of those old wounds in this country, I could take a walk every day except on fires, you know, when the, the air was so, too bad occasionally. Yeah. But mostly I got to experience a liberation and uh, a restoration mm. that was the opposite frequency of everything that was coming at me through these screens. Yeah. And I could just like lean on a tree and, and move at the rhythm of the planet. And that was, oh my God, that was so healing. And I knew if I was in Brooklyn during all that, I wouldn't have had that outlet to the yeah. same degree. Yeah. yeah gorgeous okay now tie water <laughs> yeah so you, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's it's um I think you answered the question through there but just specifically like what 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 was it like the there. so that that episode has many pieces um that has Uker <laughs> my my Trumpy mayor from Tangier Island. <laughs> Um, right. That was, hold on. Let me just, I'm going to, because sometimes the show gets twisted in my mind. 
Okay. The, the Tidewater episode. I actually got yeah, that's I don't remember the mayor, but got, I, the, we got Eric. So we got the the swamp, of course. We got Tyler yeah. Trainum, the regenerative farmer and a yeah. ATV. Yeah. Appalachian Trail. Oh no, that's Appalachia. I'm looking yeah. at the wrong The Tidewater, we got um the 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 gentleman from Northern Virginia. Um and oh, no. yeah. Yeah, and you have the uh, the gentleman who helped you in the, it's the Underground Railroad. Um, yeah, no, I. It's policy. funny that one segment dominates the whole episode, but now I have confirmation in front of my eyes. Yeah. So yeah, the mayor of Tangier was part of the Tidewater episode. This is with the crabbing, and we had um, the Wild Horses was in the Tidewater episode. Wow. Yes, they are. But and I, the Wright brothers glider was in the Tidewater episode. And none of that stuck out, like what I remember. Like, I, I mean, yeah, but that's okay. No, that's dope. That's and this dope. is for, you know, Black girl nerds. So I'm yeah. like thinking of what's going to uplift us. So, so, so yeah. So let me tell you this. Um, I, I grew up with an above average Black history because of my mama. Yeah. And she had the African map on the wall. Africa is a country, not a, a, a continent, not a country. That was like a childhood book. Yeah. That was definitely in my mix. And we did all these travels and I was in this like Afrocentric pro. I felt like my black card is like very intact. And I heard, I knew what maroons were. But when I found out we were going to this uh, swamp, first of all, I was like, swamp, really? In the summer? <laughs> in North Carolina? Can we just, I mean, do we really? <laughs> Bugs and leeches and all that kind of stuff. But on the ride there, this is something I haven't told anybody. Um, I listen to a lot of books while we're driving around this country making a show. And different places, I had different titles. And some of my experience of the show was connected to the book I was listening to. Because I was in the car alone a lot. Yeah. In the Death Valley joint, which was the very first episode we filmed, first time oh we leave in the house, Oof. I listened to uh, Octavia Butler, Parable of the Sower and the Talents. <sighs> That was a wild book to listen to driving alone you know, <laughs> in May, 2021. My first time out of my house, like the country's coming apart. I'm just like, Why she really I knew. <laughs> <laughs> on, on the Tidewater episode, I was, it was a long drive from, cause I flew into, I think I maybe flew into Dulles. It was like a kind of a far away airport. It was a yeah. long drive down to North Carolina. And I was listening to a book called Avengers of the New World. A History of the Haitian Revolution. Mm. And I had been listening to on another drive, like uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones and ta Coates in conversation with each other. And the host asked them, you know, what are you reading? What do you think people need to read? That's not your own work or each other's work. <laughs> and, and one of them had mentioned, I never heard of this book. I never really studied the Haitian Revolution. Yeah. But it felt like the exact thing I needed to hear on the way to the Great Dismal Swamp. And ah, so, and then I listened to many podcasts about maroon settlements all over. I just, I wanted to go in with extra yeah. because this was a special thing and it's, I still wasn't prepared. Mm -hmm. So that was the most moving part of making the whole show. Um, it was, I didn't, I wasn't prepared for the emotion. And um, to some degree for the anger. I think what stands out to me from a history perspective is you got this giant million square mile swamp and literally founding fathers are members of a corporation trying to drain it. And what do they want to replace it with? 
the great innovative, imaginative dem democracy leaders of our time, cotton fields. Like really old boy, like that's, that's still the plan. That's what George Washington wanted. It's like, we're gonna drain the swamp so we can grow cotton there. <laughs> it's like, of course, of course, of course, that's all you got, one trick pony. And, um, and I remember talking to Eric Thompson about his ancestor who you know, worked a boat on now in the canals in that swamp and, the, and feeling so grateful. Um, feeling that like, you know, you, you hear the phrases of black history, we make a way out of no way. Yeah. And it's, it's just, it's, sometimes it's just words and it's this sort of thing. And I don't always feel it. I'm just like, oh, there goes the old timers talking about the, what we've done back in the day. But when you're standing in a place that terrified the white landowning, you know, power structure to the degree that they were defeated by the ecology, mm. they, they condemned it. They called it the great dismal swamp. Yeah. Because there'd be dragons there and whatnot, <laughs> right? And panthers and monsters and bugs and spiky yeah. things. And, and that was safe for us. Wow. That's like, we run toward the thing. It was the, it was the one place for so many of us to go. Yeah. And then we get there and we find other indigenous people's settlements. Yeah. So we're building on literally on the foundations of the original inhabitants mm. who we've been taught, you know, in many ways to fear and subjugate and vice versa. Yeah. So we're, there's a conversation that's happening across time in the same space, a level of intense interdependence with nature yeah. and, and, and seeing um, refuge in, in a place that's been condemned. And of course, like if your master condemns it, it's probably pretty good. They also <laughs> condemned reading, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. let yeah. me try this reading thing. Yeah. Uh, let me check out this swamp they all afraid <laughs> of. <laughs> So, yeah, and then there was this magic moment where, and I give credit to our, our crew, where we're hiking our way through, and it's just, it's just so swampy. I feel like I'm in, um, like, like, I'm in Yoda's house, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm in, like, the, yeah. is it the Dagobah system? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to see the Millennium Falcon at any moment. It is so mystical and swampy, and every step is a trudge. And I'm tired and I'm sweating under all this rubber. Um, and we see this island up in front. And I'm just like, oh, we're just making the show. We're just going to go to the island and film the thing. And I'm going to do the thing to the camera. And then my producer's like, hey, do you want just like a moment to just go check it out? And I was like, oh, why would, oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. And I walked over there and uh, it was a cloudy muggy day 120 percent humidity and i stepped foot on this island and the sun came out mm. and i just dropped to a knee and i just cried and i said thank you yeah to the land and to the people you know and i'm like i'm here because of them yeah and i'm here because it is swamp too even if not literally absolutely metaphorically we are here you know because they persevered um, yeah, it was really, I want, I want that kind of uh, unbroken circle kind of feeling for all of us. Yeah. 
and yeah, to reconstitute that bond. Um, nature was, you know, used against us, uh, but we also found a way to like build a connection with it to save ourselves. And that was the greatest honor of making this show was to be able to visit that swamp. Well, and it shows like that's that's what stands out for me most. Yeah. But I'm realizing that the access that folks have who are working at the grocery store, who are working, you know, at jobs, black folks who are just, you know, working and living our lives can sit down and watch this and visit all these places Mm. and through you receive that because it shows through what the moment you just described gave me goosebumps and chills because I felt it. Um, Your production team really captured that. And that's, that's what I remember most of that episode and the series. And the second thing I remember is the, um, (laughs) the first episode in death Valley life blooms Mm -hmm. uh, your conversation with the ultra marathoner, Massey Massey, Smith. Massey Smith, yeah. Tell me what was the most compelling part of your conversation with him? Because that's fascinating. You know, we don't do stuff like that. <laughs> I literally, just, I, I go to a fancy gym now with these white people who were doing all sorts of, and they had me do one of these faux Spartan things. Like, yeah, they do. yeah. And I don't, I, I mean, I'm lifting, I'm doing my thing. But I, me and the old 70 year old woman were the last two. <laughs> And we did it. Yes, and we were both black ladies and we we finished. Good. So, but this ultra the the, the fact that he he's doing that, what was yeah. that like for you? So Masi, um yeah. yeah, this dude's on another level. And okay, it's it's hot. It's, <laughs> it's like it's it's like real hot. It's, they say it's dry, but it's still hot. It is still hot. And, and what he signs, so what stands out to me? Um I remember sitting across from him. We were still, what stands out to me, a couple, maybe three things. One is we were still finding our footing, making the show. This was our first shoot. Yeah. We had not been around people yeah. for a year, year and a half. Wow. So everything was extra careful. The food was garbage. Like no restaurants were open. I don't remember any good meal that whole week. <laughs> really, there's some Thai water. Like I can remember going yeah. to this like dope restaurant in Appalachia, eating at the farmer's house. They took us for lunch. Like, oh yeah, I had some dope crabs and Virginia, Tangier, like that was dope. Not in Death Valley. <laughs> um, so I remember Mossy um, and just thinking like, why? Why Why do you, why this, this adventure racing, this ultra marathoning, bad water, I think it's the 135. How do you do that? Um, and he liked, I think what he got out of, he's a former Marine. So like, okay, he's already got an extra gene that most people don't. Right. But what he described as far as being able to process things while he's out there, it was this emotional safe space, mm-hmm. kind of therapeutic. And he's like, when you're out there alone running your mile, whatever, whatever something's going to come up and you can't actually run from it. Like that's when you deal with it. So there's a little bit of this irony of like trying to run, but actually being totally present with the thing you're able to run from in your day to day life. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I, I knew I wanted to ask him about a mud and just thinking about black joggers, black dudes jogging out in the middle of nowhere. Really? Because <laughs> you know? um, as much as I love nature, I'm not a runner. I, I yeah. walk. I yeah. aggressive. I will hike. 
but that impact has just not been fun for my knees for a long time. Yeah. And so just like running out on the road in the middle of the highway. Um, and, and I believe he, he said something just about like needing to reclaim that and not letting fear, you know, be the overriding determinant. Yeah. Um, and also working with this team Onyx crew, you know, even with these adventure races and these Spartan things to, yeah. to roll deep, you know, and to yeah. show up with a different level of community. So you're not the one. It's just so exhausting to be the one all the time. Yeah. And here's a fun deep cut. I was looking through photos after we shot this whole thing, we were doing the, um, the voiceover and I was going through team Onyx website and I saw Mossy and I saw somebody else. I'm like, is that Lazelle from the LA episode? The, the, the surfer, one of the surfers, oh. the woman who pushed me to help me get up on the board with the curly hair, Lazelle, she knows Mossy. <laughs> They're both on Team Onyx, this like all black adventure racing squad. It's all connected. And that wasn't, the producers didn't know. I pointed it out to them. They might've been afraid to be like, I think that's Lizelle. <laughs> <laughs> they just waited for me to find, it's like an Easter egg. So it's people watching the episode, you know, if they're really paying attention, they might catch that. Nice. But you know, and I think uh, Black Girl Nerds would really appreciate we have like this double appearance. That's so cool. What right now? is bringing you the most joy. Ooh, the most joy. Ooh. Tough question, huh? It is. I've not been feeling particularly joyful these past two and a half weeks. I know. Especially. I know. So we threw a party uh, just this past Sunday, a, like a cookout and a party. And it was so joyful. There was like 10, 15 people, had them over the house. I grilled the hell out of this thing. I mean, we're talking shrimp, red snapper, chicken breast, bone in, skin on, sausage. And I didn't overcook any of it <laughs> or undercook. And there was time. There was just time. I had one of my best friends from college came down from Oakland. And he needed a break from being in isolation. He lives alone. And during all this time, it's been extra difficult. Yeah. And we, we just had a, a bunch of good people come together. And it wasn't about shootings or white supremacy yeah. or our dying democracy. Yeah. It, was, it was like we had the doors open and the wind was blowing and the drinks were flowing. And there was laughs and nice. stories. Um, for hours and hours. I'm, I'm still living in that. And I feel really grateful to be able to do that. Um, yeah. And to have people that I'm willing to be around in the pandemic. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and, and to be able to like feed folks. So yeah. that that actually brought me a ton uh, of joy. Um, and there's a bonus that is related to the sadness. Uh, I I went to the National Museum of African-American History and Culture a week and a half ago. I happened to be in DC and I was just reeling from Buffalo the whole week. And I got up to Friday of that week in between gigs. So I'm like crying in my hotel room, like getting it together, going and doing my thing on stage and like doing what, and I was like, I just need to go to this museum. I need to remember something. Yeah. 
And I went there and a friend, I, someone I would probably consider a friend. We don't know each other that well, but she works there and she hooked it up. And um, I was like, I need to see some inspirational shit, please. <laughs> now. Yeah, like, I don't need to go all the way to like the origins of the Belgian slave trade. No. I've seen that. I know. <laughs> see, I haven't even been there yet. My dad told yeah. me. Yeah. So we sped through some of the trauma. Okay. Slowed down at the hip hop. Good. Um, there's a there's a Trayvon Martin exhibit there now. Ooh. They have his hoodie and his Skittles and his Jordans. Um, but there's also this beautiful portrait facing another portrait. It is a textile creation of Harriet Tubman, <gasps> young, young Harriet Tubman, not the old lady we used to see it. She's just like, what? <laughs> she's black girl nerds right she is. Yeah. And it looks like a painting but it's actually textiles and it's mounted on the wall just like a painting would be and across the hall from her is Breonna Taylor mm. just flowing and beautiful and they're just staring at each other and I uh, have my phone on me and there's this really beautiful augmented reality app called Breonna's Garden where you can uh, her family and these um, Lady Phoenix, she's a, a multimedia artist, black lady, created this as a safe digital space to celebrate her life. Yeah. And it's free of Nazis and trolls and all the Twitter shit. Nice. And um, so you, you can plop this garden in your room just through your phone. Mm. And there's flowers as a they captured Brianna's sister and her boyfriend. They both make appearances in this and talk about her. And every flower you bump into plays an audio file of someone remembering Brianna or someone they've lost and you can submit. So I dropped Brianna's garden right at Brianna's portrait. Mm. And so she was like in her garden mm. and it actually put a big smile on my face. And I toured the rest of the museum and I was just seeing like all this great dismal level, you know, reclaiming that we've done. Yeah. And been a part of. And it, it, it lifted me. Um, and I might have spent a lot of time in the go-go section of <laughs> <laughs> the cultural exhibit right. on the top floor. And I might have, I might have <laughs> done a little funky breakdown, you know, right. just like, um, and it was, and I did leave lifted and that brought me joy. But it was, it was joy, like infused with sadness, um, which is a, a deeper, it's a deeper joy in some ways. Thank you for asking that. That's, Aww. You have some very interesting questions. Oh, well, thank, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's for... not a euphemism. It's not, these are interesting <laughs> questions. Where'd you I learn that? No, I mean, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Brodnax and Ryan Bennett. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and Spotify.